We really got nine hockey segments tonight? Three shootouts, two penalty shots to fund the courier. Jerome will be happy. Who's Jerome? Jerome. Right. He'll be happy? Yeah. Sure. Who is he? Jerome? Right. I'm talking about Jerome. You can say his name as many times as you like. I'm still not going to know who he is. Camera two? What about him? He's the camera operator? Who? Are you prepared to do a broadcast right now? Yeah. The camera guy. What about him? It's Jerome. Jerome is the camera operator on number two, and he likes hockey. Now you're with him. 60 seconds to VTR, two minutes live. All right, here's a change. We're flip-flopping the Virginia Slims quarterfinals and the IOC meeting till 23. I never had 23. And you won't miss it much. But Jeremy, tell me what's happening in Chattanooga. Tell me quickly, tell me succinctly, bullet points. We're on the air in less than two minutes, so don't give me a valedictory address. Talk to me as if I'm a small child. Tell me what's happening in Chattanooga. I don't know what's happening in Chattanooga. Okay, tell me a little more than that. I think it's a New Year's resolution. You should rededicate yourself to the idea that this is a team. You play for a team, a team with many players. Do you think I should learn their names? I think it'd be nice. I agree. The team's made up of a group of individuals. Are you going to keep talking anyway? Individuals who forsake their own individual needs to pursue a common goal. The team goal. In our case, the goal is a nightly national television show. I'm saying I know the guy's name now. Roll VTR, 60 seconds live. Show me Tokyo. Show me the Chiron on four. Four is up. You got Tokyo. That was Brian in Chattanooga. All right, tell me what he knows. Bullet points. I can feed it right to Casey and put it in the tease. Casey, stand by. I'm going to fill the tease. What does he know? He doesn't know anything. Stop standing by, Casey. What's going on? There was an incident at Tennessee Western involving some black athletes and a Confederate flag. What happened? We don't know. In three, two. Good evening from New York City. I'm Casey McCall alongside Dan Rydell. Those stories plus we'll head out to the Hoosier Dome where Bobby Knight's done a little interior decorating and we'll leave room for more hockey than you can shake a big stick at. We'll bring you the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and because we've got soccer highlights, the sheer pointlessness of a 0-0 tie. You're watching Sports Night on CSC, so stick around. We're out. Hello everybody, welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Raines, I am one of the pastors here and that was a brief clip from a TV show called Sports Night. Uh, it, it was on when I was in seminary, the late 90s, and I loved uh, watching Sports Night. It, it was on for only a brief two seasons. I was devastated when they canceled Sports Night. I couldn't understand why. Why would they cancel the show? It's so great. It's so funny. I care about the characters. They tackle important topics. And then I found out the reason they canceled it is because it was great. And so they hired Aaron Sorkin, who was the creator and uh, writer of many of the episodes, a lot of the writing team, a lot of the actors, and they took them over and they started West Wing and they made a bazillion dollars doing the West Wing. Anyway, um, Sports Night, imagine if you took uh, ESPN Sports Center and you turned it into a sitcom. That's basically uh, the premise of Sports Night. And so uh, the two anchors are Dan Rydell and Casey McCall. And in that scene, Dan is trying to convince Casey he should actually learn the names of the people uh, that he works with. You know, it's a sports show after all. Maybe think about them as all being uh, important parts of the team. And, and then Dan gives Casey, just in case Casey forgot, here's a definition of team. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. A group of individuals who forsake their own individual needs to pursue a common goal. If you spend much time reading through the New Testament of the Bible, you start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, the ministry that Jesus is doing. And then you get into the book of Acts, which is what our Bible reading is from today. 
And it's the birth of the church and the way the church is growing and expanding as the followers of Jesus take his mission and they start to spread it all around uh, the Roman Empire and ultimately all around the world. One of the things that you see the New Testament writers doing, there had never been a church before. And so they're trying to help us understand what are we talking about when we talk about the church? And so the New Testament writers give us all kinds of imagery and uh, pictures and metaphors to help us understand what is it that we're really talking about when we talk about uh, the church. So sometimes they'll say the, uh, the church is like the bride and Jesus is the groom, or the church is a building and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Uh, the church is a flock of sheep and Jesus is the good shepherd. The church is a body made up of many parts and all those uh, body parts together, they make up the body of Christ. I'm convinced if Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in 1980 and Jesus was uh, crucified and resurrected in the year 2013 and here we are today, we are seven, eight, nine years after the life of Jesus, after his uh, three years of public ministry on this earth. I'm convinced one of the uh, metaphors, pictures, images that the biblical writers would be using to help us in our day understand what are we talking about when we talk about the church, they'd use this imagery of a team. A group of individuals who forsake their own individual needs to pursue a common goal. This is a team. And this is one of the ways to help us understand who is the church and what is the church up to pursuing this common goal together. Uh, My favorite NFL team is the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm very nervous about the game tonight. You can be uh, praying for me. Although, two upsets yesterday, surely there won't be another upset, huh? Anyway, as a fan of the Chiefs, I'm not particularly fond of Tom Brady because he always beats the Chiefs, but I can uh, appreciate his greatness. So uh, my son, Shaden, and Dalton and I, we were watching a show. Uh, Tom Brady has a show called Man in the Arena, and he's just kind of going back through his career and the lessons that he's learned along the way as he gets to go to the Super Bowl pretty much every year. Anyway, um, (laughs) I had forgotten how it began back in 2001. Uh, Tom Brady was not the starter of the Patriots in 2001. Drew Bledsoe was. And then Drew Bledsoe got injured. In comes Tom Brady. He leads the Patriots to the Super Bowl against Kurt Warner in the St. Louis Rams, one of the best teams in NFL history. And everybody knew the Rams were going to blow out the Patriots. The Patriots were huge underdogs. Uh, The Rams had one of the best offenses in the history of the NFL. They had a great nickname, the greatest show on turf. And nobody was giving the Patriots a chance. You know, Super Bowl, it's like just this huge buildup for a couple of weeks and hype, 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 everything's hype. On Super Bowl Sunday, one of the big hype moments is the introduction of the starting lineups. And so Pat Summerall, the great Hall of Fame broadcaster, was introducing the offense of the Rams that year. And it was Pro Bowl player after Pro Bowl player, Hall of Fame player after Hall of Fame player. And then Pat Summerall says, from Northern Iowa, number 13, Kurt Warner, and the crowd goes wild. So they introduced the offense of the Rams. Now it's time to introduce the defense of the Patriots. And something happened that had never happened before in Super Bowl history. Pat Summerall says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the champions of the American Football Conference choosing to be introduced as a team, the New England Patriots. And instead of calling out each of the 11 individual starters uh, of the defense and calling them out by name, didn't mention anybody's name, no no individuals, just introduced them, and the whole team came out together. And everyone thought, that's kind of strange. 
until the Patriots pulled off one of the biggest upsets in Super Bowl history. And then everybody said, that's why they won, because they were a team. They were a team. Everybody was in agreement that when you looked at the rosters, the Rams roster was filled with more individual talent than the Patriots that year. But the Patriots played like a team, and in one of these things that happens when you do this, the whole became greater than the sum of the parts. The whole became greater than the sum of the parts. It was a team, a group of individuals who forsake their own individual needs to pursue a common goal. This is a pretty good description of the church too, isn't it? A group of individuals who are pursuing a common goal together as a team. And every once in a while, it's important for us to just kind of remind ourselves, this is who we are. This is what God is asking us to do. This is who God is asking us to be. And this pursuit of the common goal, it kind of gets summarized in the mission and vision that we have here at Hope. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen and let's, uh, we'll start with the mission. Read this out loud with me. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. This has been the mission of Hope from the beginning. It's never changed. I don't think it ever will change. Because we see people around us, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our families, uh, places where we work, the schools that we attend, we see people around us all the time who do not know God's love for them, who've never experienced the power of grace in their life, and, and the life that can come because of that. And so our job, our mission, is because we've experienced that in our life, we want to share that with the world around us. We don't do it perfectly, and so we have a vision, and the vision is to kind of say, as we keep doing this mission, here's who we hope God transforms us into, and here's the kinds of things that we hope to see happening in the world as we carry out our mission. So here's the vision. Read this with me. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. Every once in a while, we just need to get back to the fundamentals. And remind ourselves that church is a team sport. And over and over and over again, God is reminding us, we've got a mission, we've got a vision, let's pursue this common goal together. Uh, the first church that I pastored uh, was a, a little church just outside of uh, Davenport, Iowa. And I started there in 2001. I was, it was a small enough church, I was the only staff person there. And it was a great learning experience for me. The people there were great. They taught me a lot. They helped us do a lot of, of really good things. But as the only staff person, it didn't take very long before I kind of got lonely in ministry. And so uh, about five years later, when it seemed like it was time, God was saying, my time there is up. It's time to be going somewhere else. One of the things I was praying for is that I would end up at a church where I was not so lonely. I would have co-workers. I would have colleagues. I ended up at Hope. And back in, in when I got here, we didn't have like office area. We didn't have anything in Ankeny. My office was in West Des Moines. So even though I was the only staff member at Hope Ankeny, I had a lot of co-workers and colleagues from the West Des Moines campus. And uh, they taught me a lot. It was so great and um, fantastic. My first job in ministry was way back in 1995. I was uh, director of youth ministry at a church called Central Presbyterian Church, uh, 39th and Grand. And um, I, I was 23 years old. My job, my job was to be in charge of the middle school and high school students and ministry to their families. We had about 25 uh, middle school students. And so I had recruited three or four people to help me out with that. 
And early on, it was just a couple of months into uh, my career in ministry that I had kind of a a make-or-break moment in my vocational calling. Uh, It was a come-to-Jesus moment. It was a Wednesday night, and that was when the middle schoolers came for their weekly programming. But that particular Wednesday night, uh, none of my volunteers showed up. It was just me and 25, uh, you know, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade boys and girls and it was like the scariest 90 minutes of my life. Like, uh, am I going to lose one of these? And uh, what, what if somebody gets hurt? And thankfully, by the grace of God, we made it through. And when the last middle school student got into the car to drive home, I went back to the youth room and I collapsed on the floor. And I just kind of thought, I'm not sure uh, ministry is for me. And I whined and I pouted for several minutes. And then I have this very vivid memory of, of this thought filling my mind. This will never happen again. This will never happen again. Instead of quitting ministry, for me, it became kind of the defining moment for me, and I became convinced the only way to do ministry is as a team. The only way to do ministry is as a team. And uh, here at Hope, we've got some language for this. We're better together. You'll hear us say that quite a bit. In fact, let's say it together right now. We're better together. Turn to somebody close to you and just remind them of that. We're better together. This church is better because you are here. We need you here. You belong. There's a place for you here. There's a role for you to play here. This idea of uh, doing church as a team, we're better together. Jesus models this for us over and over. If you just kind of skip through the Gospel of Luke, you see it in a lot of different places. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. Luke chapter 3, he's baptized. Luke chapter 4, he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. And then Luke chapter 5, Jesus starts building his team calls his first disciples. He sees uh, Peter out fishing, and he says to Peter, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Luke chapter 6, Jesus, you kind of think he's finalizing his team. He picks his 12 disciples. And one of the things we see in Luke chapter 6 is there's a rhythm to Jesus' life. It doesn't begin with a team. It begins in solitude. He's up on the mountain all by himself, just Jesus and God, and he's praying And part of what Jesus is praying for is wisdom to know who to invite to be a part of the team, who to recruit to be a part of the team. He's praying, and then he comes up with these uh, 12 disciples, and it's important for us to note (laughs) God's wisdom for Jesus is to include Judas on the team. I mean, it's hard building a team, isn't it? And sometimes you get people on a team and you're like, I'm not sure they're a good fit. But God is saying, yeah, actually they are. Uh, They're needed for a certain reason. And then the other thing that we see in the rhythm of Jesus' life, it moves from solitude to community, but it never just stops with community. Like, uh, community is never the end goal. It's an important part of the rhythm, but it's never community just for community's sake. It's always community for the sake of service. Community for the sake of mission. We read that, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from Jesus and he healed everyone. Solitude community, and then mission. This is the rhythm of Jesus' life. Right away, it's very clear that Jesus wants to build a team so that they can do something. 
Jesus has a mission. Jesus has a vision. He, he wants to talk about, announce the good news of the kingdom of God. He wants to demonstrate it by healing people. And then he sends his disciples out. And um, it's pretty clear, really quickly, Jesus starts adding to the team. I keep skipping through Luke. You get to Luke chapter 8. It begins this way. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Do you know that was in the Bible? Like, like Jesus' ministry was primarily supported financially by women. How cool is that? And it's not like they just wrote checks and then sent it off hoping the checks would get to Jesus and you know, the boys wherever they are. No, Luke tells us these women traveled with Jesus and the 12 disciples. They were an integral part of the team from the very beginning. Keep going in Luke chapter 9. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he has them do his mission and vision stuff, announce the good news of the kingdom, uh, heal people. And then you get to Luke chapter 10 and now all of a sudden we're talking about 72 disciples. Not 12, but 72. And Jesus sends them out and Jesus gives them all kinds of instructions as he sends them out. And I want us to read together part of what Jesus says to them. Uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 10, it's on uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 2. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Again, over and over, you, you see Jesus modeling the idea. The only way to do ministry is together. The only way to do ministry is that part of a group. The only way to do ministry is as a team. How big of a team? Is 12 guys enough? No, absolutely not. Got to add some women to that group. How about 72? Is that big enough? No, because the harvest is great and the workers are few. So pray, Jesus says. Pray and ask God to help you build the team, to send more workers into the field. You stop and think about it. If there was ever anyone who could have done it all by himself, if there was anyone who was ever talented enough, gifted enough, skilled enough, capable enough, just do the job all by himself, it would have been Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet Jesus does not do that. You ever heard the phrase Messiah complex? We look around at people today and we say, oh, that person's got a Messiah complex. They're so full of themselves. They think they're so great. They've experienced a little success. Now they think it's all about them. It's all about them. That's like the opposite of a Messiah complex, right? The actual Messiah does not do that. Uh, Casey McCall in that episode of Sports Night has a bit of a Messiah complex. He's a little too focused on himself. He's so focused on himself, he doesn't know Jerome is the camera operator and camera two who loves hockey. He's so focused on himself that when he gets sent to do a little promo work for uh, his show Sports Night on The View, he just focuses in on himself. He is uh, charming and witty, and the ladies on The View, they're, they're fascinated by his wardrobe. They're complimenting on him on the ties that he wears on the show, and he just takes it all in like, it's, yeah, I'm just that great. He goes back. He leaves his appearance on The View, goes back to his office, 
turns on his VCR and watches a recording of himself on The View. And he's enjoying it just a little too much when he gets a knock on the door. Take a look. Listen up, ladies. You're single, right? Yes, I recently divorced. Well, I think you should know that a man who knows how to dress himself is a very sexy thing. Which is why so many of us are drawn to carrot tops. (laughs) (laughs) All right, if you're a sports fan or... Excuse me, Mr. McCall. Yeah. I'm sorry, is this a bad time? For what? I'd like to ask you a question, but if you're preparing the show, if this is a bad time, I can, I can come what's back. What's your question? What, what's my name? What's your name? Yes. Uh, what are we doing right now? If this is a bad time, I can just come. I'm sorry. I'm not very good at remembering names. Who was the number two man on the Boston Red Sox staff in 1977? It was Ferguson Jenkins. My name is Monica. I'm the assistant wardrobe supervisor for Sports Night as well as two other shows here at CSC. I think you heard the feelings of the woman I work for. Her name is Maureen and she's been working here since the day you started. Well, I know Maureen. Can I ask you another question? I'm sorry I didn't know your name. Do you know what color this is? Well, it's gray. It's called gunmetal. Gray has more ivory in it, gunmetal has more blue. Can you tell me which of these shirts you should wear it with? I don't know. No, you don't. There's no reason why you should. You're not expected to know what shirt goes with what suit or how a color in a necktie can pick up your eyes. You're not expected to know what's gonna clash with what Dan's wearing or what pattern's gonna bleed when Dave changes the lining. Mr. McCall, you get so much attention and so much praise for what you actually do, and all of it's deserved. When you go on a talk show and get complimented on something you didn't, how hard would it be to say, that's not me? That's a woman named Maureen who's been working for us since the first day. It's Maureen who dresses me every night. And without Maureen, I wouldn't know gunmetal from a hole in the ground. Do you have any idea what that would have meant to her? Do you have any idea how many times she would have played that tape for her husband and her kids? I know, I know this is when it starts to get busy for you. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. Please don't tell Maureen I spoke to you. She'd be pretty mad at me. I will. Monica. So it's probably time, it's probably time I tell you who picks out my sweater vest for me. <laughs> um, Narcissus is a figure in Greek mythology who is impossibly handsome. And so everybody wants to date Narcissus, but he rejects all these romantic advances because nobody's able to live up to his ideal standard Uh, for beauty. And then one day he sees his reflection in a pond and he is smitten. (laughs) He falls in love with himself and he wastes the rest of his life staring at his reflection in a pond. What a ridiculous myth, right? 
Unfortunately, that ridiculousness is one of the defining characteristics of our world today. A couple of uh, academics, Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell, have written a book called The Narcissism Epidemic, Just What We Need, Another Epidemic. But uh, they've been studying the last 40 years or so these kind of alarming increases in the rates of narcissistic personality traits in uh, young people in particular in this country. Uh, these rates are going up so high. I, uh, more and more people, younger and younger all the time, uh, absolutely convinced they are extraordinary. I call it the American Idol effect. Remember when American Idol first started out? And my favorite part of American Idol, you know, yes, seeing people like Carrie Underwood go from uh, Nowheresville in Oklahoma to becoming, you know, national stars, that sort of thing. But um, I liked the, the parts early on when they would have these auditions. And sometimes people would show up and they would open their mouth and start singing. And you'd just be like, do you know what you're supposed to sound like when you sing? Like, you have no idea what singing is all about. And Somewhere along the way, these people had become, I mean, some of them were just looking for their 15 minutes of fame and they knew they were bad. But a lot of these people didn't know. They thought they were excellent singers. They had convinced themselves they had people in their life, family members who'd been telling them, you are the best, you should audition, you're going to win, you're going to be great. And then when the judges look at them and say, you're terrible and you should not be in music at all. They're offended. They couldn't believe it. Uh, Part of what a twinge and Campbell are uncovering is narcissistic young people grow up to be disillusioned, often clinically depressed, and, and often alone by the time they're in middle age because they never learn how to actually live in reality. Uh, there's another woman, her name is Patricia McDonald, an expert on narcissism. Listen to part of what she says. Much of our distress comes from a sense of disconnection. We have a narcissistic society where self-promotion and individuality seem to be essential, yet in our hearts, that's not what we want. So she's acknowledging this sense of self-promotion and all these increase of narcissistic uh, kind of tendencies. But she says, while everybody is doing this, deep inside, nobody really wants to be doing this. The self-promotion thing is not what we want. What do we want, according to Patricia McDonald? We want to be part of a community. We want to be supported when we're struggling. We want a sense of belonging. Being extraordinary is not a necessary component to being loved. And what it all boils down to is, this is really what we want. We just want to be loved. I think that's what Monica was trying to communicate to Casey in that clip. Do you know how loved Maureen would have felt if you had just acknowledged her on The View? This last line probably should haunt us a little bit, living in a place like Ankeny. Being extraordinary is not a necessary component to being loved. I'm guessing if if I asked you, do you believe this is true, we would all say, yes, of course that's true. You don't have to be extraordinary to be loved. And yet, and yet, and yet. And it seemed like the way we shape our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we order our lives, there's a part of us that maybe actually believes the opposite. If I'm going to be loved, I better be extraordinary at something. We may not intend to communicate this message. Parents, we may not intend to communicate this message to our kids. 
But there are a lot of people in this community, a lot of young people in this community, who are picking up this message. I have to be extraordinary at something in order to be loved. They hear it at home. They hear it at school as it relates to academics. They hear it on the sports teams they're a part of, from coaches, from family members in the stands. They hear it on all of these different um, groups that they are a part of. Our, uh, two of our kids are in show choir. And yesterday they had a competition in, in Johnston and all these different groups coming up and uh, doing a show. And they're excellent, all the groups. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I can't believe, like last week, they, had, they were in Cedar Rapids. They got home at like three in the morning. All day is show choir. They, they work so hard. So I just want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with trying to become good or great at something. But it becomes problematic if we ever get past that tipping point where the reason we're working and striving and we want to achieve and we want to succeed is because we are convinced that's the only way we could be loved. So we've been talking a lot about love the last couple of weeks, sprinkling a little muchness everywhere we go, a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we talked about how do we create this ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. Part of the mission and vision of the church is to help people understand love in a way that we don't get, we don't understand in any other area of life. That God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You don't have to become some expert performer at religion to get God to love you. And we all want to believe this, and I think uh, there's a big part of us that does believe it, but I also think there's a big part of us that struggles to actually trust that's true. So you look at the team that Jesus builds in the Gospels, and you look at the team uh, that is built in Acts chapter 2 as the church is kind of getting started. And you see part of what's happening here is they're loving each other in a new kind of way, a different kind of way. That Acts chapter 2 church, they're gathering together for worship and uh, to study and to eat together and to serve together. And incredible things start to happen. You know what? The rest of the world looks at them and they're like, Aren't these just ordinary fishermen leading this movement? How's this changing the world? Ordinary people with God's extraordinary love and transformation can happen. And we hope, we hope that this is what God is doing here at this church, Lutheran Church of Hope. Wednesday nights are quickly becoming my favorite night of the week uh, this winter. Wednesday nights here at Hope, we got a, a meal at 530 and then a lot of different ministry filling up uh, pretty much every corner of this building on Wednesday nights. Christy Schmall, our children's ministry uh, team leader, she is leading Hope Families on Wednesdays, and that's pretty amazing. It happens in the harbor. Uh, Eli is leading group launch in room 136. Up here in the worship center, Emily and Tiffany and Boz are leading our student ministry, Power Life and Ignition. They got a whole team of volunteers helping them do that. I get to help out with uh, Alpha this winter. Uh, Brian is running all the production equipment for us uh, for Alpha this year. And Brian, I got to officiate at his wedding to Ann. It's one of the first weddings we had here. It's like five years ago. It's always good to uh, check in with him. 
last Wednesday was our second week of Alpha. So the people in Alpha are just starting to get to know each other, learning each other's names, that sort of thing. I was sitting uh, with one of the groups for the meal, and we were talking about getting to know each other. What, what TV shows do you watch? And uh, what do you like to do? And do you like sports? And TV shows and sports. So that's probably why we're getting sports night tonight for uh, clips this weekend. But um, before Alpha begins, I like to go down to the kitchen and check in with the kitchen staff, Gerd and Sean and the volunteers that they have there. It could be Ruth or Marsha or Amy or Gail or Jenny or Bev is sometimes there and other people as well. I like to come up here to the worship center and listen to Sean and Kyle, our worship staff, as they're leading the student ministry team. Last weekend, uh, last Wednesday, Josh was playing the drums. And Josh, it's amazing the growth that uh, we're seeing in him over the last 18 months or so as a musician. Uh, Katie was one of the vocalists. You remember in The Grinch where The Grinch's heart grows three sizes in one day? Like, Katie's heart for worship is doing that the last couple of years. It's really cool uh, to see. I got to talk to Ellie, who is a college student, and she comes from college to Hope on Wednesday nights to lead a small group of Ignition girls, high school girls. I got to talk to Jeff, who does the same thing for Ignition boys. I got to talk to Gabe and Jay, who are on staff with our facilities team, helping keep this uh, place uh, clean, and had a great conversation with them, sort of. I mean, Gabe loves the Cincinnati Bengals, and so he's been teasing me for over a month now that the Bengals are going to go to the Super Bowl and not the Chiefs. And I mean, isn't that rude? So be praying for for Gabe. Uh, Anyway, uh, all kinds of people doing all kinds of things to help us carry out the mission and vision of this place. And that's just Wednesday nights. On Tuesdays, all day long, we've got cupboard volunteers coming in and doing a couple hour of shifts. We've got people leading uh, small groups and, and book studies. We've got a meal on Tuesday night also. You can come to that. It's open to anyone, and it's a perfect lead-in to celebrate recovery. Research continues to bear this out, and and I see it uh, on a a weekly basis around here. Research tells us when people come to church for the first time, they make up their mind about, am I going to come back to this church long before they ever hear a sermon? They come into the church, and they're wondering, is anyone even going to notice I'm here? Is anyone going to smile at me? Anyone going to introduce themselves and learn my name? Do I see anyone here who looks like me? And these are the kinds of things that help people make that decision. Am I going to come back to this place or not? Is this a place for me? Is this a place where I'm welcome and where I belong, where I can be part of the team? So I just want to thank you all for being part of the team. You may not even know that you're part of the team. You, you may think I'm not extraordinary enough to be part of the team. You don't have to be extraordinary. You just have to be willing to grow in love. You've got to be willing to grow in love. There, there's a Greek word that shows up about 100 times in the New Testament. Alelone is the Greek word. It's one Greek word. It often gets translated in two English words. Shows up a lot of different places, like in John chapter 13, where Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you. So let's read the words of Jesus. Read this out loud with me. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I'm not sure why we do this in English, but the Greek word behind each of these yellow phrases, each other and one another, it's the same Greek word, alelon. And it shows up all sorts of places. Sometimes it says love one another. Sometimes it's serve one another, pray for one another, uh, encourage one another, be patient with one another. 
Be kind to one another over and over and over. One another, one another, one another. It's really clear. You look at all these one another's, there's no way for us to think, oh, church is a solo act. Church is something I do by myself. I, I like the way a pastor named Andy Stanley talks about it. He says, you read through the New Testament, you see all these one another's. He says, the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. I was talking about when I came to Hope, and it was great to have all these colleagues, and they one anothered me. They encouraged me, and they one anothered us. They supported us and prayed for us in, in all kinds of ways. And one of the uh, big ways that we were together in those early days, I was the only staff member. We had volunteers who were leading teams of volunteers, and they were carrying out the mission and the vision of this church. I tried to find a picture from way back in 2006 or uh, 2007. The oldest one I could find was 2009. And so by then, I think Derek and Kara in children's ministry and Kay in admin, they were uh, on staff at that time. The rest of the people here were volunteers. Eric volunteered to lead the worship team, and uh, Rick was leading the finance team, Joy the prayer team, uh, Sue was leading the hospitality team, Linda the mission team. Kathy Pilch was volunteering to lead the nursery team. She's still volunteering uh, to lead the nursery team here all these years later. Mark, uh, he led the setup and teardown team because before we had a permanent church home, we, had to, uh, we were a mobile church meeting in a school, had a trailer full of all the equipment that had to be set up. Chairs had to be set up, uh, lights and speakers and uh, all the equipment. The nursery had to be, a Cafe Hope had to be set up. And Mark had teams of people who would come in, who knows what time they showed up on uh, Sunday mornings to get every, We couldn't have church without them. And once a month, uh, all of us would meet together in somebody's home and we would one another, one another. Because we had no idea what we were doing. And we supported and encouraged one another and laughed at the crazy things that were happening. That's the way it's supposed to be. And as the church grows, and yes, you get staff members, but still, we do it as a team. We do it as a team. Let's read this verse together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Again, it's on the screen. Read it with me. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You're a part of the team. You belong. There's a place for you here. And maybe now more than ever, it's super important for us to continue to one another, one another. If I could share with you the kinds of conversations I'm having with people these days, the craziness that's going on in people's lives that they're having to deal with. I mean, a lot of the people around you, it may not be you, but a lot of the people around you are hanging on by a thread. And one wrong look, one wrong word, and it's like... We're just going to lose it. So we got to one another, one another. And let's find ways to do that. Let's be intentional about it. Maybe you start by learning the names of the people you sit next to every time you come in here, because you sit in the same place every time you come in here. <laughs> Who are the people next to you? Learn their names, say their names, it matters. And that's what uh, Casey McCall learns in episode 11 of season one of Sports Night. Take a look. In three, two... That's all for tonight, but before we sign off, we felt that with Christmas only a few days off and with people making up lists and checking them twice, it was as good a time as any to mention some people who are important to us here at the show. 
It seems that quite a few of you, for instance, like the way Dan and I dress on the air. And you should know that we're dressed by Maureen Gates and Joseph Rivetto. Maureen and Joseph are assisted by a young woman named Monica Brazelton, and Monica is not to be trifled with. Our camera operators are Ray, Wayne, Bruce, John, and Jerome, who wishes we'd do more features on hockey. Not gonna happen, Jerome. Every time I pick up a pencil or put down a coffee mug, that's Jody Mann and her trusty aide, John Franz. And if you've ever wondered what a gaffer was or a best boy, you should ask Keith and Mark. We've got some people who don't get paid much, but that's okay, because the hours are terrible. <laughs> there are PAs, and their names are Lauren, Victoria, Jake, Lee, Ashley, and Brad. This is a script. Dan and I write it, and then two people come along and put it together so that we can also read it. Their names are Joan and Chris, and they, us, and everyone else here are pretty much at the mercy of the script supervisor, Carol McKechnie, who's got a little thing for I mean, I think it's time she admits it. Kerry McIntyre. Nicole Burke. Sean Hanlon. Jeff Wee. Mark Johnson. Cajun. Cajun. How about Skip Cook? How about Phil Heath? How about Karen, Julie, and Angela in makeup? How about Brenda, Cammie, and Jody in hair? We've got film on this show. Do you know who cuts it? Janet Oshikaga. You know who her assistant is? Laura the Wonderful. We've just named a small fraction of the people who put this show on television, which means we've left out many more, and we'll try to rectify that as we head towards December 25th. But for now, I'm Casey McCall, alongside Dan Rydell, wishing everyone in your home, along with everyone here at my home, a very happy Christmas. Good night, everyone. Let's stand together. And as we get ready to sing the last song, let's think of that vision statement that we have. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. Revival. We'd all love to see that. And what we believe here is that revival comes as we lean into love a little bit more. So we're going to sing this song. We're going to uh, experience God's love in our hearts, in our lives. And we're going to think about how do we reach out to the world around us? How do we revive the world around us with that same love? <laughs>